Easter. Happy Easter. Feliz Pascua. We have an Easter dinner today, by the way. We had online sign-up, and there, if you don't have a place to have Easter dinner, there is a sign-up in the back. It is not too late. And I also wanted to invite everyone this Friday, communion service. We close down all our Bible studies, our home fellowships, two seven groups this week, so we can really focus again on communion. It's an open mic. It's a time for uh, testimonies, people just sharing their spiritual gifts, people sharing what God has done in their life. And so uh, consider that this Friday at 7 p.m. But now we are going to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if you could rise for the reading of God's word, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are in John chapter 15. Actually, we're right where we are on Sunday morning, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of John. And we're in verse 11. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Here you go. Ani, we have one over here. John chapter 15, verse 11. By the way, parking tokens. That announcement about the parking tokens, you need to give it to the attendant. That's downstairs only. That's not at 375 along. Just get that out of the way. John chapter 15, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we open your word, Lord, All kinds of stuff that we grew up with becomes shattered. And, we, and, and, and you ask us to, to cast it away. For example, that thing, that stuff that we may have grown up with that a life lived with you is anything other than a joyful life. That's what it is. You teach us that in your word. That's not what many of us grew up with. That's not what I grew up with, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that just by the end of the service, all of us, Lord, including myself, would just have a great understanding of this promise here, your words, Jesus, that you want our joy to be full, to be abundant because of your joy, because of the resurrection joy, your resurrection, your obedience to your Father, living a perfect life as the perfect Lamb of God, slain, and then risen from the dead, then taken up into heaven, that perfect fulfillment of 
the abundant joy that we have in you. That's just not what we're used to, Lord. That's not what we grew up with. And we ask by the Holy Spirit that you'd bring us to this place of full understanding that religion and all its vestiges, all the stuff about religion would just fall aside, Lord, and just be replaced by that full relationship that we are told we can have with you for free simply by faith, that relationship with you, Jesus. I pray that for us and every church in the city of Boston who's teaching your word today. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what Easter is all about. Whatever else the world may be making of Easter, it's all about, for the Christian, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, because of the resurrection, we have been gifted by God by so many things, so many things we've been gifted because of the resurrection. I want to talk today about one of those things. It's a big one. Joy. Jesus says in verse 11, and he's saying this, remember, just hours before being arrested, tried, and crucified. Just hours before He says in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Most translations put it this way. This is the English Standard Version. I would say about 75% of the translations say something like this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be Full. Now, how is it? How is it that the disciples will be able to have the joy of Jesus if he's leaving? He he had just told them. We we spent in John chapter 14, we spent a number of weeks on this. Jesus told them he was leaving. He actually even told them that he would be crucified that he would suffer many things at the hands of the Romans and crucified. How is it that the disciples will be able to have the joy if he is leaving? You know, I've known quite a few people over the years who are just joyful, happy people. And, and when you're around them, they make you feel happy. I'm so thankful over the years. We've had so many Nigerians in our church. I, I don't know. I've asked them before, why are you all so happy? Are there any exceptions for Nigerians? And, and, and you know, we have our discussions but, uh, about that. But listen, um, it's great being around them. And, and so I have no doubt in my mind, though, that the disciples were joyful, happy being around Jesus. Because listen, although he's called a man of sorrows, that is true, more in that later. He was a man who knew great sorrow. The Bible teaches that 
No one rejoices more than God. Either in quantity or quality, no one rejoices more than God and the Son of God. It's the Bible teaches so clearly. Consider this, Psalm 60, verse 6. God has spoken in his holiness, I will rejoice. Now, from time to time, you will hear a statement by a preacher or a priest somewhere, and they say something like, God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. That's not so. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that part of holiness is happiness, joy. That's what the Bible says. Never, ex never at the expense of obeying God's word, of course. And I think that's where they're going with it. You know, go off and sin because God wants to make you happy. But the point is, is that joy is part of God's holiness. Holiness, the word, all it means is separate, meaning different, different than anything and everyone else. That's what holy means. So, so holiness, part of holiness is that, part of, part of the holiness of God is that he has joy like no one else or nothing else in the universe, he has purity. He's holy. He's separate. He has purity like no one else. He's perfectly pure. He is just in a way that no one else is. He is holy. He's separate. Part of his holiness, however, is joy. So get it out of your minds. I certainly need to get it out of mine that holiness means no laughter, no joy. It's quite the opposite. God has spoken in his holiness. Psalm 60, verse 6 says, I will rejoice. So I have no doubt in my mind that, that just being around Jesus, and this is not just feel-good, happy-thought gobbledygook, that just being around Jesus, the disciples were filled with joy on a regular basis. But again, Jesus says in verse 11 there of John chapter 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may, be, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. How is it that the disciples will be, be able to have the joy of Jesus if he is leaving? You know, I don't know about you, but when a person who's really happy, I hang out with them for a while, man, they leave their mark. A few hours after they're with me, I'm still kind of bouncy, happy, because they were, they were with me. And now, now if they're this mega moga happy person, they may even stay, stay with me for three or four days. But eventually, their happiness wears off. So Jesus, how are we going to be able to have your joy if you're leaving, and the answer is the resurrection. That's the answer. The resurrection. It's what today, Easter, all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, no resurrection, no joy. No resurrection. No joy. Turn with me to, in your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians 15. That's a, about 75 pages to the, to the right. In your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, it could be called the resurrection chapter. It's all about the resurrection. Now, I'm not going to go today sort of in the direction which I have a few times in the past of, of demonstrating to you that it really happened, the resurrection. Jesus Christ bodily, his body resurrected from the dead, just as the prophets foretold. Now, people hear that, and in many quarters, Easter becoming obsolete because, I mean, how can someone rise from the dead? That defies natural law. We live our lives. We're, we're men. We're women of science. That defies natural law. And to that I say, how do you explain everything that is around you? The rivers, the sky, the stars, people, consciousness. How do you explain that? Where did life come from? They asked that to Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins, the most famous, by far, evolutionary biologist, he carries the banner for atheistic evolutionary biology. They interviewed him and they asked him that. Where does life come from, Mr. Dawkins or Dr. Dawkins? And he said, uh, I don't know. We don't know that. And I appreciate him for his honesty there. And the interviewer didn't let go. He said, well, come on. What's your best guess? I mean, what do you... What do you think happened? And his response was, I believe that aliens planted life on planet Earth. Now, when I heard that, I remember getting up the next morning, and I surely I didn't hear what many consider the, one of the smartest men of science in the world say that. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear that. That's foolishness. So he is so bent on coming against the notion of God because after all, we live all our lives by natural law. So there's no such thing as any supernatural being or supernatural activity. That's nonsense. And that response is science fiction. It's not science so much evidence for a designer, a creator. God spoke and he created by his word, by the word of his power, the Bible says. And Jesus Christ, after three days, rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, says this, the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep, referring to the fact that 
Some have died, but most of those 500 who saw Jesus' body after his resurrection still live. That's the point that he uh, is making here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the, by far the most documented fact from ancient history. Verse 7, after that he was seen by James, who was the brother of Jesus, then by all the apostles, then last of all he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. Verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if, you, if you're taking notes and you have a pen, underline verse 17 if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. I like this translation. It's the NET, New English translation. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. It's powerless. And you're still in your sins. You're still under the penalty of sin, and the penalty of sin is death. You're still under the power of your sin, and you know, sin is a control freak. Sin will control your life. And, and, and you're still under the misery of your sin. No resurrection, no joy. But with the resurrection, there is promise of the fullness of joy. Now, how is that? Because as we have been listening in John chapter 14 and 15, as we've been going through it, because after Jesus rises from the dead and is taken to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit. And by and through the Holy Spirit, Jesus and his joy will come into any man or woman who receives him as the crucified, risen king. Jesus says this to his disciples in John chapter 14. He says this to them, referring to the resurrection. He says, after I am taken away, after I am taken away, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, the spirit of truth. He will be in you. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me, and I in you. John 14, 16, 17, and, and, and 20 there. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I just can't help myself. i got to include this whenever I can. John chapter 7, Jesus speaking, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7, 38 and 39. No resurrection, no joy, no streams of living water flowing forth from within us. 
no resurrection, no fullness, no abundance of joy. Okay, so back to the verse that we started with this morning. John chapter 15, verse 11. This is Jesus, a few hours before his arrest and crucifixion, speaking to the disciples, speaking to you. This morning, speaking to you. The Bible's not a dead document. It's alive, living and active. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How is it that the disciples will be able to have the joy of Jesus Even if he's leaving, answer, shout it out. The resurrection, yes. Because of the resurrection, what Easter is all about. Everyone with me so far? Okay, I want to switch gears. I want to switch gears. Now I want to consider, what is joy made up of anyway? What's the foundation of joy? Why is anyone joyful? If you have received the crucified and risen Son of God as your Lord and King, by definition, you've become a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12, to everyone who has believed him, to those who have received him, he gives the right to become children of God. If you are a child of God, joy must begin with this one thing. Are you ready? Joy must begin with accepting the forgiveness of God. It must begin there. Without accepting the forgiveness of God, the fullness of joy which Jesus promises in John chapter 15 verse 11 is never going to happen. There are a couple of things I did in my youth which periodically when I pray there's a voice and the voice says you can't pray to God. Remember that thing that you did. You can't be fruitful for God. Remember that thing you did. You can't expect God to bless your life Pastor Steve, remember that thing that you did? You can't worship God freely. You can't sing. You can't talk about God to others. You can't thrive in your life with God. Remember that thing, that ugly thing. It's too bad. It's too big. How can a child of God have joy with a voice like that sounding off in their ear, in their mind? It's impossible. It's never going to happen. You can't do it. They can't. But by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, by what we have received as a result of it, Holy Spirit living inside of us stirs our faith up that we can put to death that guiltometer alarm. That, that, that alarm, the thing, it goes away, it's defeated, it's vanquished, it's destroyed. 
and by faith, activated by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we can believe the promise of God, which says this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, by one offering. What's the offering? Shout it out. What's the, what did Jesus do? What's the offering? The crucifixion. By one offering, referring to the crucifixion, he has perfected forever. That's talking about you, child of God. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So with the resurrection, you've been given the life of Christ, the power of Christ by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and you're no longer useless. Can we have 1 Corinthians 15, 17? You're, You're no longer... Remember what it says here, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sin. Your faith is no longer useless with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You can embrace the promises of God. You can embrace Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that by one offering, you've been perfected forever. Brother, sister, You've been given the, the gift of faith because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can we have Hebrews 10, 14 up there again? So you can embrace this promise by one offering, the crucifixion. Jesus has perfected forever, speaking of you, those who have been sanctified. That's the Bible. That's the dangerous, radical message of grace. Now, you may say, I get what you're saying, Pastor Steve. In fact, I've tried that, uh, but it doesn't work for me. I'm still hounded by guilt. I can't get rid of this voice in my ear, and it robs me of my joy. So I've been there. But let's do this then. I'm going to read from Mark 14 and 15. Don't have to go there with me, but I'm going to read. And in Mark 14 and 15 is the eyewitness account of Jesus' arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. Now listen carefully beginning with his arrest. Verse 43 of Mark 14 says this, and immediately, while Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one seize him, and lead him away safely. As soon as Judas had come, immediately he went up to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kissed him, and then they laid their hands on him, and they took him. Verse 53, 
They led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Middle of 61, the high priest asked Jesus, saying to him, are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus responded, I am And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. Verse 65, then some began to spit on him. Let that that sink in. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, to beat him, and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Chapter 15, verse 1, immediately in the morning, the chief priest had a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, they tied him up, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor, the Roman judge. Then Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now, at the feast, this is a reference to the Passover feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. So once a year, the Roman governor released a Jewish prisoner back to them, sort of out of the spirit of the Passover feast, of of wanting to to bless them in, in that way. At the feast, the Roman governor was accustomed to releasing one prisoner, whomever they requested. Now, there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. And then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done. But Pilate answered them, saying... Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after him to be scourged. Now, scourged, that means whipped. There is a Jewish law in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Leviticus, where it prohibits a Jewish person or the Jews from uh, whipping someone more than 40 times. 
The Romans had no such constraint. They could whip him as many times as they want. The movie, The Passion of Christ, as hard as that is to watch, I believe it's an accurate description of Jesus being scourged. It was more than uh, 39 times, 40 times. It was more than that. And, And what it did is it opened up the flesh of the back so that when Jesus' body was put on the cross, it, his, his open, the open flesh would have been laid right on the cross. Many, there are accounts of, uh, of those be, who, who just killed. They didn't survive the scourging, the whipping. Pilate, it says here, had him scourged and then crucified. Verse 16 of Mark 15. Then the Roman soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison. They clothed him with purple, with a purple robe, and they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. And, he began, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And then they struck him, and on, uh, they struck him on the head with a reed, and they spat on him. They bowed to their knees. They worshiped him and mocking him. They took off the purple robe, put on his clothes, and led him out to be crucified. And then they compelled a certain man, a Cyrian, uh, to carry his cross. Why? Because he couldn't, because he had been so physically beaten down. Verse 25, now it was the third hour And they crucified him, the third hour being nine o'clock in the morning. And so crucifixion, it was such a gruesome torture that Roman citizens, it was prohibited by Roman law for a Roman citizen to be crucified. It was left mostly to slaves and rebels. And it was, it was, the reason it was so cruel, what happened was they drove an iron stake, they'd lay the body on the ground, on a cross, they'd drive an iron stake through the man's left hand, or the wrist, and then they dro- drove an uh, iron stake through the right hand, the wrist, then they drove an iron stake through the two feet, then they would raise them up. And they died not by excessive bleeding, but by asphyxiation. They were unable... At, at, eventually unable to breathe because when you have your arms extended on both sides, your body slumps down, preventing the lungs from breathing. So a crucified man would try to extend their life by lifting themselves up on that nail that was between their feet. That was what was going on with Jesus. Verse 26, the inscription above his head was the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on the right, one on the left, that the scripture would be fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, he saved others, Himself he cannot save. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him, meaning they insulted him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until 
the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Elo, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And verse 37 says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. He was naked, by the way. They had gambled away his clothes at the foot of the cross. So you may ask, why? Why is there such a horrific, shameful, ugly scene included in the Bible? And the answer is this, so that you can read and understand that however horrific and shameful and ugly your sin is, that thing from the past, it was not as horrific and shameful and ugly, not even a small fraction, not even like a tiny grain of sand, as horrific and shameful and ugly as putting to death the perfect matchless spotless son of God, that ugly scene was done to the son of God, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Bible says. The Bible also says, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, that when Jesus proceeded to the cross, that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, why was he joyful? Well, let me tell you, it included the fact that you, child of God, you, child of God, your guilt, the horror of your sin, that shameless thing that you did is completely swallowed up in the horror, the shame, and the ugliness of the cross. And that in his joy... He, he joys because and when he sees your, your joy. Let me tell you, sinner, it grieves God. That means God weeps when you refuse to embrace the promise that you've been perfected forever. And that thing that goes eh, 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 in your mind when you try to pray, when you try to bear fruit, be fruitful, to God do something for God? When you think, well, I'm praying for a spouse. How am I ever going to get a spouse with that thing in my past? I'm praying for whatever, prosperity in, in, in my job or whatever. Or I'm praying for, for something, and, and, and I have this alarm bell, that alarm-o-meter, this fear-o-meter, this guilt-o-meter that goes off and says, no way, that thing. That thing has been buried in an ocean of blood. And it's the joy of Jesus for you to let it go. And he grieves when you do not. Don't overrule God's choice that your sin has been buried by some 
lie that the enemy of your soul, your flesh, or the world, or whatever is trying to convince you of. God wants you to have abundance of joy. What does John 15 verse 11 say? Again, this is where we started. This is where I'll finish. This is what he said right before this horrific, shameful, ugly scene of the cross. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is what the resurrection day is all about. It's what Easter is all about. The gift of joy because of what happened at the cross. It was a beautiful, horrific scene. It's horrific physically and emotionally. It was beautiful because of what it creates in the life of a believer. God wants you to accurately represent him. God rejoices. He rejoices. The Son of God rejoices like no one else on planet Earth. He wants you rejoicing in him, in what happened at the cross and at the resurrection. So I'm going to call the worship team up. If the worship team could come up now, if you've been asked to pray, if you'd come up now as well. I'm going to have a time of worship and prayer prior to communion. Now, communion was given at the Last Supper. Last Supper was the first communion, really. It was given to people who are children of God. If you're not a child of God, if you're still seeking, please don't take communion. However, I would ask if your heart has been stirred if you're in that place that you have never accepted the crucified, risen Savior as your king, if you'd like to do that, it's a simple prayer of faith. You become a child of God, not by any good thing that you've done. Or you, can't, you don't become a child of God by not doing some bad thing, you, but you become a, a child of God simply by faith, the Bible says. And that not of yourself, it's the gift of God by putting your faith and asking and receiving the crucified, resurrected, risen Son of God. If you've never done that, please come up. I can pray through that with you and you can have what amounts to what the Bible would say would be your first communion. I had communion many times before I had my real first communion because I was just either didn't understand church or was playing church for a good part of my life. Or... We're having communion. Communion's a sacred thing. It's a, it's a serious thing. Again, we'll be this Friday night, 7 p.m. We're going to be having an evening communion service. And we just really want to focus in on just what it means and, and the terror there at the cross, but the joy there and the beauty. If you have been hearing the words this, this morning... And you're thinking to yourself, or you're one of those people, man, I've tried everything and I just have such a struggle with this voice inside of me because of this, this thing or these things. And I don't know joy. 
like Jesus is describing in John chapter 15, 11, this fullness of joy that he promises me. I just want you to come up. I'll be up here. You can, I'll pray with you. I'll pray with one of these prayer couples. Because you don't want, the, the Bible says when you take communion, it says, let a man, let a woman examine yourself. Part of what you examine yourself for is that you don't go to the communion table hanging on to something that the cross paid for, for in the resurrection for you to not have to have. So it, it's, that's why it says, let a man, let a woman, let a child examine themselves before they go to communion. Just we, It's us doing business with the Lord and that we're, we're, um, we're doing business with them and we're letting go so that we can just freely have communion. So let's, um, let's have a time of prayer and let's worship and let's prepare our hearts for, for communion as the worship team begins.